Hello and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Justice Ken Wise, who sits on the 14th Court of Appeals in Houston, Texas, and was recently honored at the Texas State Capitol by the House of Representatives as they recognized the occasion of his 100th Wise About Texas podcast episode, where he talks about Texas history. Welcome to the show, Justice Wise. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I imagine some listeners may be wondering why I have a justice on the CEO blind spot show. So it might be helpful to know that I know your dad, who was my client for years prior to retiring, and both of us think that you operate like a successful CEO. You've had a staff of people, and then I happen to know you were also a chair of three different committees on the Houston Livestock and Rodeo. So it's not easy. You could almost argue that's harder than when you're leading people that you fire. So tell us a little bit about why you've succeeded so well. Well, I think uh, you're exactly right about I've chosen have been put into leadership positions where I have a lot of responsibility, but no authority, which is very (laughs) difficult. I uh, example, your listeners probably are not all that familiar with the court system, nor do they have reason to be because you should try to avoid it at all costs. But I was a district judge, which is a trial level judge in Texas, and we have unlimited jurisdiction. And we in Harris County, where Houston is located, we had 60 district courts. And so I was the what was called the local administrative judge, which is sort of the boss judge for the judicial system. And as such, had to lead 59 other kings and queens, and they had no accountability to me. Everyone's an elected official, and they can do what they want with their court. And so it's very difficult in that situation to try to lead a group a certain direction. And likewise, with the rodeo committee you mentioned, I had a thousand volunteers under me, and I'm trying to get a specific mission accomplished for the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, and there's a thousand people who really don't have to be there. And so if you don't lead them a certain way, make them want to be there and want to follow, then you're in trouble. And I I joke about the rodeo committee, I should apply for an MBA in management. The lessons I learned through that process, some of them tougher than others. But Or, or teach an MBA on it. About that. <laughs> so how did you manage? What are one or two tips you can share? Well, I'll tell you the, what, what I did. I, I'd like to use the rodeo committee for, for an example because that's just not everybody had the same incentives. Yeah. And, and so what I, what I did there was I got together my core group and and I created a hierarchy of some specific numbers, layers of management. And you don't want a lot of layers of management because everybody's a volunteer and the idea is to is to do well and do it together. And so but you got to have a little bit of organization. So I got my core group around me and I said, okay, here's the deal. Information does not trickle down, it trickles up. Decision we will make decisions and this when I say core group, this is two other people and myself. Mm-hmm. We will make the ultimate call and once we make that decision, we will speak with one voice. Then I got the next layer, which was about a dozen people. And I delivered the same message. I mean, it was very simple. Once a decision is made in this room, everyone will speak with the same voice. And if you can't do that, then uninvite yourself to this level of management. And then I did it again. And I did it again with what we call captains at the Houston Rodeo. And that was dozens of people. And they are the ones that are actually leading the volunteers on the ground. Hmm. So with those three meetings, I covered all 1,000 volunteers and everybody at the next level of management would be speaking and hearing the same message. And what it did was it killed a lot of the backbiting and gossiping and such as that that occurs in those kind of volunteer organizations sometime. 
Wow. Uh, and I think you can take it to a business. Now, that, now, I'll tell you what that was, how I learned that. That's mm. politics. Mm. I mean, it was political judgment. <laughs> Judges in Texas are elected. Yes. So I've got to be an elected official, a candidate, run for office, and I've got to deal with political issues and government issues, even though day to day I'm in the courtroom administering justice. And so those kind of skills you can put to work across organizations and it's messaging and it's all of the message discipline and all the things that you think about when you talk about politics, you can take that straight into business and it really can prevent a lot of problems. Absolutely. But it's hard to do. Yes. And uh, and gossip is definitely a performance killer. So what you just said, a lot of CEOs struggle with, as you called it, the backbiting and people going in different directions. Thanks for sharing that. Then, of course, I have to ask, too, did you ever struggle in terms of leading people? Have a blind spot. You do, because you got to remember, not everybody is like you. And I'm using you to refer to myself. And a lot of times you get into a situation where you fail to realize that not everybody is thinking about the organization the way you do. Not everybody's thinking about the mission the way you do. Nobody, if you're a CEO, nobody has the pressures that you do. Now, some may have Some of the same, some may have similar, but nobody has your perspective. It's unique. It gets less unique the further down the org chart you go. And and there are big groups of people in your business or, or in my court or whatever that do have very similar kind of concerns. But when you're the leader, nobody, the way I like to say it is nobody cares about your stuff more than you. Uh, even the people that love you. So <laughs> so you've got to remember that and you've got to understand, you've got to communicate to any given other person exactly what you're trying to accomplish and how they can help you do that. I think if you can, and, and I have failed miserably in that all the time. And I think if you find yourself stomping around your office, very frustrated that nobody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, the first thing I like to do is say, well, wait a minute, does everybody understand what they're supposed to be doing? And I'll go ask. In my Mm -hmm. current role as an appellate court justice, I have two licensed, experienced attorneys who work just for me and help me generate the legal opinions over a hundred a year that come out of our chambers. Mm. And so if I'm getting frustrated with an opinion that's not looking right, what have you, I'll go in and I'll say, okay, let's back up. Let me tell you how I view this case. And usually what happens is something was miscommunicated or whatever, and you just kind of push the reset button a little bit. Most of the time, they want to be on the team. Not always, but most of the time. And so sometimes you just got to go a step back and, and then charge forward. And I'm sure any listeners that have been in the military, I have not, but those principles apply a lot to battle, at least my military friends say so. So I try to keep that in mind. But I'm, yeah. but I'm very, the reason I say that in response to this question is I'm very bad at it. And, <laughs> and I like to go the speed of sound all the time. And why isn't everybody right here with me? Well, you know, not everybody is thinking about it the same way. Well, and, and I think another very valuable point you made was you went around and asked to see if they understood, right? Because there's a lot of assumptions that people understand expectations. So currently then, as you look at all the crisis we've been through and, and who knows what other crises we'll face, any other tips you have for people given, I mean, you, you study history, right? So you have seen lots of history lessons in, in how people make it through crisis. So anything you want to shed light on with that? 
Well, yeah, the podcast I do is Texas History. You mentioned it earlier. Why is it yes. Texas? And Texas History is really my passion, but how I got to that passion is relevant to what you asked. The reason that I love it more than I ever have is, yes, Texas history is fascinating, interesting, fun. There's all kinds of crazy drama. Truth is stranger than fiction, etc. However, I apply it every day because serving the state, as I have for almost 20 years, the history of this state is directly relevant to all the issues I deal with, legal issues, political issues, legislative issues, everything I deal with. History, Texas history relates directly to Texas present. Well, it's true for business too. The history of your business, there's a reason that your business is where it is right now. And that reason is history. Now, I don't care if your business is in a good place, a bad place, is it growing, is it declining, whatever. Something in its history likely will inform you today a little bit about why that is and maybe shed some light on how that can be changed if it needs to be changed or strengthened if it needs to be strengthened. That's certainly true in our state and it's certainly true in our country. So I think that being informed, which you must be as a leader, requires that you be informed of of the history that's relevant to your business and and look around. I mean, oil and gas comes to mind. Obviously, we're in Houston. There's tons of history that influences that business. And anyway, you just need to be informed and you can't be so without studying history. Yeah. Well, and then speaking of history, I got a little history on you from your dad. I'm (laughs) now nervous. Well, as as he he used to be a partner in a private equity firm and he hired me to evaluate CEOs prior to making investments in them. And we both have view of what makes a successful CEO. And he claims that very early on, you were already a leader. And in fact, he said him and your mom thought that you would already be a judge because early on, if if they gave you a punishment that was fair, you took it, no problem. And if it wasn't fair, you definitely spoke up. And you did that, you did that with other people as well. Like you were very passionate about fairness. And then he said, you like a CEO, if you're interested in something, you went and figured it out. So he said you succeeded as a calf roper, you interested in hockey. And he told me an interesting story, which I think tied in the the fairness with your passion, if you will, because he said you were a stick boy at age seven. And back then you would get a signed hockey stick. And it was Gordy Howe and his two sons. And then when, when Gordy retired, you thought it was only fair to give him the stick with the three signatures because it was the only stick that existed that had all three of them signed. And so he said that you've just been so amazing as a leader throughout your whole life. And again, history in terms of parent and son, he could see how you constantly developed yourself and constantly took on new challenges. And so I know him and I are both very interested in seeing what challenge you're going to take on next. And for those of you who want to know more about Wise About Texas podcast, I'll put that in the description, but it's wiseabouttexas.com. And thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak with me on this show, contributing to other leaders and the stories you shared about those practices and struggles. Lots of CEOs and new leaders can relate to. So I really appreciate you being open about them. You bet. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it.